Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. This episode is a treat. Listen along to my interview that I had with Jason Tiedek and Paul Westfield from Rule the Room Public Speaking. Although this interview was done in 2021, the lessons will last a lifetime. Health practitioners, whether you're a nurse, doctor, independent, or even employed, we can all benefit from learning simple tips to elevate our communication. In this presentation, you're going to learn how to captivate your audience. You'll learn some common mistakes that presenters make and the four types of presenting styles. I personally love Jason Tiedek's work. I've been a student and mentee of his program, and he comes highly recommended. So take a listen, get inspired, and start catalyzing your communication. All right, here we go. We are now live. Thank you for joining the Creative Medical Professionals interview. Today, we are featuring Jason Tiedek, and he is the founder of Rule the Room Public Speaking. Personally, he has really catapulted my growth as an entrepreneur, as a, as a public speaker. He offers uh, trainings online uh, in his PS lab. He also has a book by the same name, Rule the Room, and also private coaching, which I have benefited from and cannot stress enough how we think we got it. But you know, having that coach show some blind spots and help you hone what already works well, but also build up what might be a weakness in your own modalities is just worth its weight in gold. So thank you for spending time with us, Jason. You're my pleasure, Laura. Good to be here. Yeah. So we're waiting for Paul Westfield, who is also a part of your team. And in case he can't make the Zoom connection, if you don't mind, tell <laughs> us a little bit about yourself, where you located and what brought you into the public speaking field. Sure. So I am Jason Tiedek. I am the author of Rule the Room and the founder of Rule the Room and RuleTheRoomPublicSpeaking.com. And I love helping others succeed. That's what brought me into the field. And it, it all goes back to when I started teaching, but also coaching people. Um, I love to help people be great. And I love to help them succeed in whatever they're doing. And particularly physicians. Oh, I know we're, that we're talking to a lot of physicians today. And that's what Paul Westfield is a member of the Rule the Room Public Speaking Coaching Team. And his, <clears throat> his focus is on physicians and on coaching physicians to help them be successful with their communication, with their public speaking, with getting their message across. And so I always say it's about the audience, not about me. And me being able to coach people really helps me, uh, uh, allow me to do that and really put the focus on them. Yes. And I love it. one of the things that stands out in my mind that I use this over and over in my own brain you coined the term, and maybe you didn't coin it, but you use it a lot, is WIIFM. Everybody tunes into the same radio station, WIIFM. Do you, yep. want to, you want to tell the audience what that means? Sure, WIIFM means what's in it for me. And when you stand up, when the majority of people stand up to give a speech or they give a presentation or they get on Zoom and they, they talk like this, oftentimes what they're doing and when they get prepared is they say, 
I've got to get myself ready. I've really got to put on a show. I've got to make sure that I'm on my game today. And I almost always tell them, uh, it's actually not about you at all. They say, well, what do you mean? I'm the presenter. I'm the keynote. I'm, everybody's coming to see me. Well, why is it that they're coming to see you? They all tune to one radio station. What's in it for me? W-I-I-F-M. <clears throat> they want to know how what you say is going to help them in their life. And particularly with three key areas, how are they going to have more happiness? How are they going to have more success? Or how are they going to have more freedom in their life? And I, I call that durable fulfillment. But if you can help them in your presentation and your communication with those three things, they'll tune in and listen more. And that's why I always say it's not about you. It's about helping them get what they need. And as physicians, I mean, you know this. This is what you do for your patients all the time. It's always about the patient. It's centered around the patient. You're there for them. It's not about you at all. It's the same thing with public speaking. I love that. That's so helpful as this select group of <laughs> physician and allied health professionals where we're more in the entrepreneurial role. So a lot of us now are recreating the way we deliver medicine. It's very, an, very much an innovative playground nowadays. So right. a lot of us are having to step out of the role of just being somewhat of an authoritarian or dictator saying, just take this and trust me, it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Now explaining and educating and helping patients understand the value of what we're trying to get them to understand. And that is the key switch. And so I, I found that as you work with, as you worked with me, <clears throat> I would put that filter of the the WIIFM, as well as the three pillars that you mentioned across every title that I might put out there of a, of a lecture or how I want to mm -hmm. phrase things, because it's that subtle shift and it gets easier as you do it yeah. to create that captivating yep. hook for people to want to pay attention. Um, mm. And so that, yeah. that is something that I think is, is missing and is probably a huge discrepancy. A lot of physicians are very worried about showing up as not an imposter and just telling <clears throat> the world what we know and that's going to fall flat. We want right. people to be excited. So what are some other mistakes that you might see in a public mm. speaking realm when it comes to physicians? Sure. I think that that was one of the big ones. What, when, well, I'll just talk about that one a little bit more, and I'll tell you a few of the other mistakes I see as well. But the big one that I see is that they make it about them. And a lot of times people aren't doing this out of pride. It's not like they're saying, you know what, I'm going to go show everybody how great I am. That's not what I mean. But when their focus is, I'm really going to be nervous. Mm -hmm. or I, I hope I look okay, or I, I hope this goes well, they're, they're almost always focusing on themselves. And I'll tell you a quick story. Whenever I go to, to do a public speaking event, my wife always says to me as I leave the, the, the house, she says, Jason, just remember, it's not about you. And, and the reason that, that I say this is just imagine that this is your opportunity to love these people. This is your opportunity to show how much you care about these people, to meet their needs, to build rapport with them, to build credibility just like you would one-on-one. -on -one. And when I watch physicians one-on-one -on -one with, with patients, and when I think about how they've done that, and I've, I've spent some, some years in the, in the healthcare uh, industry and in, in the EMR world and things like that, so I've had a chance to do that. They're amazing. You all are amazing at this. I mean, you make it about them. That's what you can do one on 10,000 or one on 100 or whatever it is. Just focus on, on loving these people. Take care of them. The other thing that I noticed, common mistakes that physicians make that are very similar to most executives, physicians and executives are oftentimes wired in this similar way, is they'll use a lot of filler words. Filler words like so or um or ah uh, or and or 
because or but. And all of those words are, are helpful for the physician. They're helpful for the person speaking because they're helping them get their words in order, mm-hmm. but they end up causing the audience to stumble. And that's another example of focusing on themselves rather than the audience. Yeah, absolutely. I love, hello, and Paul is joining us now. Yes, awesome. Hey, Paul. Oh, let me ask him to unmute. Ah, there we go. Well, I was trying to call in on the phone, and I'm not sure what was going on because sometimes the audio is not good on my computer line. How is it okay? It's perfect. It sounds great. Okay, wonderful. Good Thank seeing you. you both. Yes, good to see you. Thank you for, for being yeah. with us. We were talking about common mistakes that physicians, especially, and health professionals are making as they're trying to present something in a public way. And Jason was commenting that we do have the skills to do one-on-one rapport quite well, where it's honed into our very training, but somehow there's this disconnect when we're in a room full of people, we forget that the same mentality can be applied of just imagining you're talking to one person Mm -hmm. in that room. And suddenly we get this fear that we can't deliver this message. So he was tying it into common mistakes of using filler words like um, and... (laughs) Uh, and other things like not being able to replicate that to a big room. Paul, what other common mistakes would you say that you see when it comes to health professionals trying to educate a room full of participants? Well, the the biggest thing is most physicians are very technically oriented in their persuasion, how they've approached their career, how they've approached their life. And so uh, communication is uh, very much um, uh, right brain oriented. And so if you take someone who's mostly left brain functional and you put them in a right brain uh, environment, it doesn't cross over always as well. And, and there's, a, there's a translation that has to occur. And when they're in the room one-on-one with a patient, it seems um, they can rely on that technical expertise and the knowledge and the technical skills. But when you're in a room full of people, uh, that's not available to you. So it's a little more challenging. That makes sense. It's a little disarming, right? We're used to attuning to body language, to being present in the energy of that room with one mm-hmm. patient or client. And suddenly in a big room, it it's not in our tool set yet to feel grounded and, and get that energy. And I'm learning from flow science that the same neurochemical that is anxiety, which is norepinephrine, is also the same neurochemical as energy and excitement. So if we rewrap that narrative in our head that, okay, I might feel anxious, but I could also say this is exciting. That's one trick that I use when I'm using my nerves. What other tricks would you mm-hmm. suggest? I know, Jason, you've had some uh, um, part of your PS lab. There was a little behind the scenes interview with you as you showed the crowd some of the little things that you do when you're nervous. Can you share some of the techniques? And then I'd love to hear Paul's. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, uh, just real quick before I do that, the other biggest mistake I see physicians making is the curse of knowledge. They have all this knowledge and this amazing experience and expertise, and they have a hard time translating it to somebody that doesn't know what they know. And so that actually gets into some of the nerves and what we do about that. But the first thing I'd say about nerves is, again, when you make it about you and worried about how you're going to look and how you're going to perform, that ends up causing a lot of nerves. When we put the focus back on the audience and we focus on them, that's one way that we can relieve some of those nerves. And one of the best ways to do this is to actually talk to a couple of audience members before you go up on stage, right before you go up. A lot of times what I'll do is go up to a random person 
and by the way, there's two kinds of public speakers. There's the kind that get more nervous when they talk with somebody right before they go up. And there's the kind that get less nervous when they do this. If you're in the latter, like me, go up and talk to somebody and just have a conversation with them, ask them how it's going, and then roll that right in. Hey, would you will be willing to walk with me as I go up on stage? And then just start your thing. And that'll help you feel better. If you're not that kind of person, go be by yourself. And do whatever grounding exercises you have. I want to say real quick, Jason, I use that technique several times. And I would say there's a third category, and that would be me. I'm in between. I like to talk to some audience members. I like to get a little bit of information asking them about the topic I'm talking about, which is usually creativity or burnout, asking them a specific example Mm -hmm. or question, and then I need space. Then I need to have space to get in my own zone, but then I try to use that in in my talk. So I try to think of what category, what part of my talk could I use that and find that audience member and point or nod. And it's really great because it feels like you have a buddy in the audience. It feels like you have somebody that's rooting for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then I imagine, Paul, you've got one too. The other big thing I want to say though, real quick, is that just the fact that we're talking about what it is that's going to help us be less nervous means we're putting the focus on us. Mm-hmm. So when we put the focus on them, we no longer worry about our nerves. And we worry about how it looks to them. And one of the things I always tell people, it's okay to be nervous. You just can't show it. So even if you're, there's a lot of people who aren't nervous and they show nerves. And a lot of physicians say to me, what do you mean? If I'm not nervous, how could I be showing nerves? Oh, you can absolutely show nerves. There's all sorts of facial tics and body fidgets that people do that they don't even know they're doing that they're not nervous at all, but they come across making the audience feel very uncomfortable. And then there's other people who are totally nervous, but they don't show it because they've learned how to stand still. They've learned how to use their eyes. They've learned to do what they need to do with their hands. And they've learned how to get the audience to speak to take away some of those nerves. So Paul, any, anything to add to that when it comes to physicians? Well, Dr. Lara, what you were <clears throat> talking about um, getting that uh, discussion <laughs> on, on a topic you know, what you're really talking about is, is a validation. And so what, what that did for you is it validated where you wanted to go in your talk. And it gave you that confidence uh, to take it there, which is so important uh, from a mindfulness perspective. And that, that's what I was going to mention um, is that uh, if we, like Jason, what you're, you're talking about is exactly right about making it about the audience, but we cannot uh, deny that our body is going to respond uh, on its own. It's going to do its own thing, and we have to accept mm-hmm. that. That's, that's the part of mindfulness that is <laughs> right. Is acknowledging that um, yes, I am. I'm nervous, but this is good. Now is to welcome those things, to acknowledge and welcome, and say, "I like being nervous because that means I'm on edge, and that means I have energy." And take all of that mm-hmm. nervousness, and make it a positive force. That gives you the confidence to use that to your advantage, that you're going to be able to give that to the audience, that that nervous energy, yeah. you're going to give that to them. You're going to provide them with an outstanding performance. Yeah. Because of that. Oh, I love that. I absolutely do love that. It's so important to recognize somatic awareness mm-hmm. when it comes to how our bodies feel and use our body like an instrument. You know, you get better, you make mistakes, you're going to review the footage, which by the way, I want to take a poll between Jason and Paul and see what you think. Yes or no, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, anybody in the health entrepreneur area should be recording more video and watching their video. Yes or no? 
<laughs> I think yes. Well, I you think know we what should. I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, certainly. Paul, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, clearly, uh, because um, you, we really don't know what it is we do. As Jason was mentioning, the the uh, the things that come across as nervousness uh, movements oftentimes are just habituated uh, movements, things that we don't even think about, and and but we don't know them until we see ourselves doing it. Yes, but I also have a neurological question, mm-hmm. though. St- uh, a brain science tells us that using our hands and gesturing actually helps mm-hmm. memory and helps cognition and helps us pull those divergent thoughts together in a better way. I know mm-hmm. I use my hands a lot. And I know one of the things is mm-hmm. you know, try, Jason has has really recommended trying to be as, as static as possible. It shows more authority and confidence, but I can't help it. I can't put my hands in my pocket. So what do you guys say about that? Is there a limit to, there's a little <clears throat> bit of hand j- just gesturing that's okay. And how would you know if it's too much? But my, my comment would well, be- yeah, go ahead, Paul. I was going to say, are, are you being yourself? Absolutely. <laughs> that, then, then that's the, the most important thing is being authentic, right? Because uh, that's the message you want to get across. Mm-hmm. And so if that's who you are, then those movements are going to be directed movements uh, based on the point <laughs> you're trying to make. They're, they're not going to be nervous. So, um, yeah, gotcha. everyone's, everyone's style is a little different. And, and I'm preaching to the choir when I talk to, uh, about these things in front of Jason. Yeah. This is That's his ballywick. But from a mindfulness perspective and from a coaching perspective, um, the, the key is to be comfortable in yourself, right? To, to have gained comfort <clears throat> with who you are and what your skill set is and to be aware of those things that don't go right, but not to concern yourself with them. Just kind of notice it. And move right on, and and that gives you the yeah. ability to react uh, in front of people with no hesitation. Even if you make a mistake, even if uh, you you get out of place, you just notice it and move right on. And that that takes practice, though. Those are great That's, ideas. What about yeah? What do you have to add, Jason? Well, one of the things that makes Rule the Room public speaking so different from a lot of the gurus and and areas that teach public speaking is that we actually teach you how to be yourself. Mm -hmm. There's four kinds of presenters. There are performers like Laura. There's inspirers like me. Uh, By the way, Tony Robbins is also a performer. Uh, They have natural charisma. Laura and Tony Robbins both have this. Those of you who know Laura, you know this is true about her. And you know, if you're not a performer, if you're more like Daniel Pink, who wrote A Whole New Mind in the book Drive, a fascinator, for example, like Daniel Pink, you know he's not going to perform like Tony Robbins or Laura. He's got a very different style. And then there's energizers, They're like the, the, the number one TED Talk of all time, Sir Ken Robinson, that really pump people up and get them excited. Uh, and, and so fascinators are all about wisdom. Performers are about charisma. Energizers are about courage. Inspires like me are about spirit, heart, caring kinds of things. If you put, if you look at those four different styles, just imagine if we try to teach someone how to present by cloning them all to be like me or like Laura or like Paul or Tony or, or, or Daniel, it just doesn't work. So some people are going to do much better by using their hands and that's just who they are. That's how they roll. That's Laura. That's an example of that. Other people are going to do very better when they're very stoic up there, like Daniel Pink, and they use their mind to let people see and do things in ways that their hands, they just don't, have never done in the past. Here's the key, though. Regardless of who you are, there are some times in your presentation 
where you need to do what the audience needs rather than what you, your body's telling you you need to do. When you first get out there, that's not the time in the first 10 seconds to use your hands all over the place. Correct. That's the time to be more still and, and, and build some safety because your audience needs to feel safe before they can feel good. And they need to feel good before they'll laugh. We just can't switch those orders. So whether you're a performer or a fascinator, standing still in the first 10 seconds is a good choice. But once you get into it, after 10 seconds, you get into a minute, two minutes, that's when you start to do whatever it is that works for your style. And that's why I think one size doesn't fit all for public speaking. But so many times somebody says, well, you need to do what Tony Robbins does. Well, that's great for performers. You guys do your thing. But there's other people that aren't, they're not wired like Tony and Laura. They just, they just can't do that. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love, this is why, personally, why I pulled the trigger in getting private coaching with you because I was consuming your book and watching your PS Lab uh, educational classes. And I thought, this is the kind of training I wanted where it's personalized to a style. I didn't want to be a specific cookie cutter public speaker. I liked that you capitalize on unique uh, aspects of myself. And I remember fondly one of our sessions, we only went over the first 10 seconds of my keynote and we went <laughs> over and over. And I thought, I think I have it, but no, there's little nuances of the pausing and of creating that safety right. and of just getting the word choice mm -hmm. correctly or, or more reflecting of what I'm trying to say, which is the power of any coach relationship, whether it's Jason, Paul, whoever you pick is that person's able to let you brainstorm and talk and they're able to reframe mm -hmm. it and get your nugget of information out in a more cohesive way. So thank you for all of that. I think that first 10 seconds of a talk, I think we've seen in numerous YouTube videos from other people and TED talkers about how that 10 seconds, people are going to know whether or not they want to listen. Mm -hmm. You know, that's right. So, yeah. So do you have any tricks, Paul, on the first 10, 10 seconds of a talk? <clears throat> Any trademark, Paul, tricks? Well, only in that um, the value in, in meeting some of the people ahead of time, as you discussed, is so important because it gives you a sense of where the audience is. And, and if you already have a kind of a feeling of where they are, um, what their expectation is before <laughs> you walk up there, then that allows you to tune yourself, so to speak, uh, for that first initial engagement. Um, so you can match where they are and then take them where you want to take them. Uh, so you're starting from a known mm -hmm. place where they are, and then you're going to take them where you want to go. And uh, that that's the only uh, thing I think is uh, that I'd like to make sure that that I do when I talk, uh, do talks is is know where, where I'm starting from. And that helps me. That's that's wonderful. So you you basically, yeah. Paul, are going from, you know, reading the room to ruling the room, which is great because you need to have that beginning energy and <laughs> It sort of helps to go further. The, the first 10 seconds, you, you built in a really cool hack, Jason, that I use often when you're nervous. I, and I forget how you framed it. Please correct me. But there was a moment where you said the best thing you can do is ask the audience to check with their neighbor or discuss this one question. <clears throat> and it gives yeah. you time to take a drink of water and pause and get your yeah. nerves under control. Can you share with me a little more detail on how that works again? Sure. Yeah, this is called the circle of knowledge, and it's really great. You can do this in person or over Zoom. You can do this on the phone or wherever you want, but it's how you make it. This is actually, my wife always says, ruling the room, she, she, we'll watch a speaker and she'll say, Jason, they didn't rule the room. And a lot of people think that means they didn't command the audience, whatever it is. It, no, what it means is, is they didn't make it 
simple. Ruling the room really means we're going to make all the teaching you're about to get from us or from you, we're going to make it so that the audience can just drink it like water. Right? Water's wet and everybody knows it. And that's as easy as it is. So when we do this, we can, we can use theoretical fluff all day and say, you need to make it about your audience. You need to make it about them and not you. But how do you do that? How do you rule the room in that respect? You use the circle of knowledge. So what do you do? You take the name of your presentation. And after introducing yourself, you ask your audience to take 30 seconds and write down up to three ways that they would do that. Done. Then you ask them to share. And if they won't share, you have them first share with each other for 30 seconds and agree on on the answer. Then they'll share on behalf of the group, which is much more safe for them. So watch this. Let's say I'm giving a presentation on glasses of water. This is just what I saw. This is the presentation I'm going to do now. So I'm going to teach people how to drink water. The name of my presentation is how to drink a cup of water. So what I do is I introduce myself. And after doing that, I would say, before we get started, I want to know what you think. Take 10 seconds, 30 seconds. I was with a group of 10,000 and I gave them five seconds and write down what's the number one thing you think is important when you take a drink of water. Go. They all go. Now turn to the person next to you and agree on your answer. They all agree. And so with a group of 1,000 people I'm speaking to, 500 groups now, will now share what they came up with. What did you come up with? Just shout it out. They all shout it out and I write it on a sticky. I can do this over Zoom. They just chat it in, you can say. They chat it in, we write it. But now I just got what Paul wanted without having to talk with anyone prior to within 30 seconds of my presentation. I know exactly what my audience thinks. And watch this. This is what the research says. They will tell you the things that they say are the things they secretly want to know. (laughs) That is brilliant. Drinking water, it's important to open your mouth a certain way. (laughs) What they really wanted to know from this presentation is, how should I open my mouth when I drink the water? And now I can tailor my presentation to them. But more importantly, I'm not nervous anymore because now who's speaking? Me or them? It's putting them on the spot. And they love it. The audience members love being on the spot because they get to make it about them. And this is what WIFM, Laura. Everybody wants to know what's in it for me. So it's yeah, all, here it is. Here's yep. the menu. Yep, absolutely. You can connect everything to, I need a t-shirt with that because that's all my teens care about too. So like, you know, they're like, what's in it for me, mom? Yeah, you know, right. This is like a light overarching <laughs> yeah, life yeah, philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yep. so yeah, no, that's great. That is brilliant. I love that group interaction. And it's very difficult sometimes to, because we're prepping almost like a performance, but when you turn it into just a conversation, a dance of a, of sorts, you know, that I, I'm curious what your thoughts are, mm-hmm. and then you can tailor it. Um, Paul, do you have any other ideas for group participation? That can be kind of difficult in my mind to go from monologue to then try and get their feedback. Or as Jason sometimes will pepper that throughout the, the whole discussion. Do you have any little tricks or tips, Paul, for group group interaction? Well, the first uh, thing I would go back to, though, is you mentioned a minute ago curiosity. And, and it's the, uh, the emotional intelligence aspect of who we are and what we bring to the table. And that's the empathy part of it. And curiosity is, is key to that. So if, if the speaker, if, if we're not curious about the people that we're going to speak to, if we're not curious about what they feel, what they're thinking, what they want, then we're not going to do our job uh, of getting the message across. And so that's a really big, huge point that you made a moment ago about that level of curiosity. And that's for us to have as we step up there in front of everybody. Um, and then 
But as far as uh, other techniques, depending on the type of uh, meeting that you're in, the type of group you're in, at least what you can do is ask um, questions uh, to the audience that for them, they don't have to answer out loud, but you, you engage their mind, right? You you ask a relevant question about what you're just talking about, and, and that at least gets them engaged and thinking because uh, you may not have an environment where you can really uh, get them talking, but what you want to do is get that mind going and and make those connections, yes. get their neurons firing. You yes, know? Paul. And I know that Jason had four leading questions. You have yeah. four different kinds. Remind me again, which types they were. Yeah, I can tell that Paul is a coach for rule the room because he, when he said relevance questions, that's exactly where my mind was going but there's expert questions, there's relevance questions, there's leading questions, and there is recall questions. And they, they all have a different reason for doing them. But the one that Paul said is the most important, that's why Paul said it, for what Laura just asked. When you want to get your audience engaged, when you want to make it about them, you ask a relevance question. How do you do it? You just simply take any statement you would make. And you would ask them how that statement relates to their world, how they could use what you're teaching in their life. I'll give you an example. Physicians that are listening to this call right now, how could you use a relevance question with your audience? None. There's not a physician on the call right now that's not thinking, well, I don't care about that. Why? Because mm -hmm. you want to know what's in it for you, right? You're listening and going, oh, I could use that in my presentation tomorrow. That's great. And now you're back. And Paul got you there. How did he get you by teaching you a technique that you really need to use that's going to get you what you need when you're presenting, which is your audience's rapt attention? Yes. Yes. Even in times of virtual presentations. I know that the industry of public speaking, I'm a big fan of some podcasts, uh, the Speakers Lab, there's a bunch of podcasts that give little tips. And there's been some shakeup since the quarantine and COVID mm -hmm. with public speaking. Conferences mm -hmm. are still slowly yeah. opening up to live presentation. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of my presentations still happen to be in front of Zoom. But that is still yep. able to captivate, like you said, Paul, you were saying to engage their brain with a question, even though you can't officially get their answer. Can you give me an example of like one way that you can demonstrate that you can still get a, an audience participation on Zoom or at least get them to, to pay attention with any questions that you ask? Well, one thing I'll uh, do with sometimes is just ask people just, um, just to stop and form a thought. Imagine themselves uh, in a position, whether they're in front of people, whether they're uh, so anyone listening, you know, you just take a moment and visualize. Now, I'm an old athlete from many, many years ago, and I coach many, many sports as well. And visualization is so powerful because it activates all those things in our minds that we need to put things together. So just a, a moment or two of visualizing where they are at that moment in time and how they're going to use what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it can really uh, take people to the next level sometimes. Oh, I love that, Paul. You're totally speaking the right brain language. That's what I do. I do a lot of visualization and creativity. I think that's really key. And I think it was Jason or even somebody else had said that the minute you say the words, I'm going to tell you a story. 
all of our brains sink mm. right back into the same. Like we're ready. Like humans love stories. It takes the pressure off of them to learn and be in the receiving mode. And now they're just sitting back and learning a story. And I've noticed Jason does that often in his lectures. He'll just pause and say, I've got a story because it anchors the point, you know, um, and it's just sort of a dialogue mm -hmm. back and forth, that structure of having different questions and stories and a map. Yeah. I think that's a major thing, right, Paul, being a physician yourself, you know that our academic lectures in any industry, it's always following a syllabus or a map. And sometimes I think health professionals forget that when we, when we ramble, as I know I'm a big word vomiter, I tend to ramble, but I always try to have a map in mind of where I'm taking that patient or that audience like ABC. And we only have room for three to seven yeah. points, right, Paul? I mean, organizing these academic lectures and making it into more of an entertainment space has got to be a little challenging. Any tips or thoughts there? Well, first of all, um, it, it, if you make sure that you're engaging your audience and they'll be entertained without entertaining. So that, that's a really important aspect of it. Um, I do want to make it clear that while I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express one night, I am not a physician, uh, although I was pre-med many years ago. But uh, my, I am certified physician development coach. And so that was just a, a clarification. Thank I wanted you to make for sure clarifying. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it's, uh, it's key really to um, engage uh, at the level of the, of the audience that you're, you're working with. And so as physicians, mm -hmm. a lot of times, as Jason alluded to earlier, uh, it's easy sometimes to assume knowledge that may or may not be available in the audience. And so stories as you talked about, are a great way to get a point across without needing technical details because you're explaining the what's and why's and how's through a story and you get the, the message mm -hmm. through. So it's a huge uh, tool that everyone should take advantage of. Yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. I, I tend to find little stories in my life and try to collect them as little ways to, if I'm at a loss, I'm presenting, I'll look at a bank of stories I have, see if anything applies. And I noticed, Paul, that you did a- It's a great idea. Uh, thank you. I probably got it from you, Jason. But Paul, I noticed that you did a, a brilliant thing just now is you had immediately ready a, a funny little quirk of, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, but, and also that's something to have on hand are these little quirky things when things happen in a live uh, mm -hmm. lecture, like, you know, maybe the, the AV equipment isn't working. And so having a little couple snippets mm -hmm. like that, like, well, I guess now you have to remember, you have to check out by 11 in the morning. You might want to get your suitcase, you know, little funny fillers that can get the audience feeling a little more yeah. relaxed. Do you have any besides staying at the Holiday Inn, which I'm going to steal, Paul, by the way, I think that's a great one. Any other little fillers <laughs> that you have? Well, that's that's just a, an old one, right? That's pretty well used. But um, but the, the key, I think, is... Um, to be able to access those kind of little stories or snippets or re responses uh, is being uh, relaxed, right? Being comfortable in your own shoes. If you're comfortable with who you are and where you are, then it allows you to respond in the, in the moment at, at that time in a realistic and genuine way. And so that's where, um, as Jason will, will tell you, the practice and practice and practice and preparation to so you know exactly what it is you're going to talk about to where you don't have to think about it anymore. Uh, Jason, what is that the percentage you always talk about? Uh, how much is it for the 90 10? Yeah, yeah, it's the 90 10 rule. It, 
90% of your brain should be focused on the audience, only 10% on what you're going to say. And most people flip that. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Say that again. And the other thing I wanted okay. to say too, yeah, 90%. And, and the other thing I wanted to say too, is that, that when you're thinking about these things that Laura and Paul just said, which is the story and the, the, the trivia and those sorts of things, that also is dependent upon your style. Performers are very good at performances. They're very good at performances, on-the-fly performances, by the way. Let's say the technology goes out. A performer can, can jump into a performance and make everybody laugh while they're waiting, um, almost the jest on the stage, right? The, the inspires are very good naturally at stories. All of them can do all of these, but this is what their fortes are. The fascinator is very good with trivia, and the energizer is really good with puns and challenges to the audience. So, for example, if you're a fascinator and you say, well, I can't think of a story, maybe you've got some fascinating trivia to share. For example, with the visualization, did you know, if you're a fascinator, you could say this, that they did a study and they found that when they had people practice basketball shooting and they actually practiced free throws every day, they grew 24% in their free throw percentage. When they had them visualize the practicing of free throws, just visualizing without even actually doing it, they grew 23%. And when they didn't do anything, they grew 0%. Isn't that fascinating, you could say, to make the point about the visualization? That's a fascinator way of telling a story. It's not an actual story. It's a piece of trivia, but it is a fascinating thing. Google Daniel Pink's TED Talks. You'll hear him do this yes. all the time. And yes. these fascinators are just brilliant at these sorts of things. But that's not what a performer's gift is. Tony Robbins will throw that stuff out every once in a while, but mostly he'll perform. If you Google his TED Talk, you'll see him perform with Al Gore in the audience. He didn't even know he was there. And on the fly, he says this hilarious thing to Al Gore and does this little performance that the audience just cracks up on that no other style could do but Tony or Laura. You yeah. see the difference between <laughs> these, these people. Right, right. No, but you're, you're reminding me how I have, I have lust to be a fascinator. I so want to remember statistics. I really do. <laughs> I have fascinator envy. I do because I keep on. I know, me too. I can't do it. And I, it's not any, like you just said, I have to remember one. If I remember one statistic in a talk, I'm happy because I will have to practice that <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. And, and I feel like as a physician, oftentimes I think, well, I need to be validated because they all want evidence-based, you know, but that's just not my skill set. If they want the bibliography, they're going to have to go check it yeah. out. I'll, I'll just give them a good story instead. So yeah, I appreciate that. That's mm -hmm. really good, really good information. So what you're saying is it's okay to be a strong type of one type. What if I had somebody just ask in the chat, what if it sounds like you, you can feel like you're two types of, of presenters? Is that possible? And is that Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Paul, go ahead. Well, the, and the reality is not only we're different presenters, we're different learners too, aren't we? That we, we learn things differently and we present things differently. And so it's a balance, as, as you know, Laura, that there is no real hard over right brain, left brain. There are tendencies, right? And we all have tendencies to be more right brain, more left brain. But we can reach across the aisle, so to speak, and borrow from the other side. So uh, being able to develop some of those skills where I, I use a little bit more uh, left brain uh, things, even though I, I'm not a math guy, uh, I don't uh, 
associate with Jason at all. He's a math mind. His mind works that way. Mind is not at all. And so I stay completely away from those things. And yet once in a while, I do need to step over that way and be able to uh, be f- comfortable in working right. in that environment. So, yeah. And 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 one of the things that um, if you've ever watched any of uh, Simon Sinek's uh, videos, he's a great, but he talks about, you know, one of the greatest things is uh, for each of us is to our own advancement is, is improving ourselves is, is where life really is all about. And, and so reaching over and exercising your skill set in areas where you're not confident is actually a great challenge, uh, for each and every one of us, uh, as we are going mm-hmm. to go present, or we are going to engage with a new group. Uh, test yourself, have fun. And that's fun. You know, it's fun with it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're competitive people. We love right. to challenge ourselves. Yes. It, it, it gamifies the whole experience of being on this earth, walking with the meat skeleton that we have. Right. I mean, come on, let's make it fun. And I think you're touching <laughs> on a great point, Paul, is yeah. this is an opportunity. And this is what I wanted to, to kind of strike home to everybody watching is this is not just about public speaking at all. Just like running a medical entrepreneurship business or being a doctor or nurse or any health professional. It's not just about that at all. It's going to level you up on so many other personal ways. So even just partnering with you, Jason, mm-hmm. I, I was going there with the intention of really polishing my one keynote that I was giving at a national conference. That was my focus. But what I got was so much more. I learned about my personal style or I use these, these tips mm-hmm. to make little mini classes much like what you offer on your PS lab. And so it's really neat to see it identifies things like you said, Paul, the strengths to continue building, but also deficiencies that really we, we have anybody who's successful is only good at doing the things easy to do and easy not to do. So it kind of highlights things that we could work on and, and helps us grow. So mm-hmm. that's, I think the power behind public speaking is vast and indeterminate. So besides physicians, do you work with all industries when you do your public speaking coaching for both of you? Uh, yes. I, yeah, I, what I, do you do? We, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead <laughs> No, please. Okay. Well, yeah, I was just going to say we work with all industries. Um, Paul is particularly focused on physicians. And Paul, you can talk a little bit more about that if you want, but Rule of the Room Public Speaking is designed for any industry that you want. But both of us have, both Paul and I have a heart for physicians, and that's one of the reasons we're on today, as well as being able to, to serve them in this way. Uh, but Paul, if you want to talk a little bit about your niche and how that is specifically for physicians, that would be great. Well, sure. I, I was drawn to it primarily from some of the challenges I initially saw in leadership um, that um, I come from a technical foundation myself. I was an aviator and uh, and fighter pilot and then airline captain. And we deal a lot in human factors, air analysis. And there's a thing called safety one and safety two in aviation. And the safety one is you bl- get blamed for everything, right? Oh, it's your fault. The pilot screwed up. But safety two is a new philosophy that, hey, let's look at all the great things we're doing. Let's focus on how wonderful a job, how great performance and let's improve that because the more we improve the positives, there won't be any negatives. So that's where I saw that coming to uh, working with physicians who are um, challenged on so many levels. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine being in that environment um, from day one that uh, 
thrown in to be a team leader, to have to deal with everything going on with uh, EMR now and, and all the rest of it and managing your business, managing your teams, managing your people and being productive. Uh, and so, as Jason said, my heart kind of went out to these a lot of these people who never really grew up in the environment of natural leadership. There are natural leaders, but it's not a requirement. People, leadership can be taught. Leadership can be developed. And it's not that hard. It just takes some time and takes some focus. And people can step into that role. But there are certain requirements that a lot of people aren't always exposed to. And so that's where I try to help. Um, I really like that, Paul. And that's spot on. I think with some of the work that I'm trying to do is is really open up industries like residencies, medical schools, and hospitals to offering personal development and leadership coaching to physicians. It's simply not offered. It really isn't. It's reserved for the high C-suite mm -hmm. executives. And what a shame because simple one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions on public speaking, even just taking that as an mm -hmm. example, it helps physicians yeah. communicate. It helps you help the patient understand the action plan. I mean, think of all the nuances in yeah. body language, in emotional attunement. I mean, all yeah. of these things make for impactful healing on the patient's end. So the patient is the, the watershed benefit of some of this yeah. initial leadership coaching that can be available. So you're right, Paul, I think this is an untapped resource for all of healthcare to learn how to level up their own skills in that way. I think that's brilliant for sure. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I have... And it's, it's not just... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Laura. No, 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 no. I, I just have a few questions, so go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's not just public speaking. We call it public speaking, but it, it, as you're mentioning, Laura, it's so much more than that. It's about, it's about communicating with people. It's about being with people one-on-one, one-on-one -on -one, one -on a number of people, and helping get your message across and helping them be successful and you be successful and doing all that together in a way that's going to boost the synergy of everybody there. It's not just about speaking publicly. And it's interesting when the, when the coronavirus happened and all of the, everything went online all of a sudden, when, when, when we first put together Rule of Republic speaking way back 10 years before the, the coronavirus happened, we, we, we said we're an online site that teaches you how to public speak online. That's what we do. We, we, it's all online. All the programs you need are all online. You get all your coaching online. Sure, you could do this. In, 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 you could do this in front of a hundred people on a stage, but we felt like you know, people don't have the time mm -hmm. sometimes to fly out around and do that. So we wanted to be that niche that offered it. And then when when the coronavirus happened and everybody decided well, we better do all this online, we we were already there. And that's one of the, the things that I love about this: the rule of room public speaking is that you can go there and go to the lab and do anything you want to and see all of the programs that we do live. You can see them all online. You get coaching from Paul and others online. And our goal is to help you shine. So it'd be great in what you do, how you get your message across. That could be on Zoom, telephone calls, whatever it is. That's what we want yes. to help you do in a way that is genuine for you. Yes. And I just want to underscore those those PS labs are amazing. Um, they you You really divided them up very helpfully, I should say, it, you know, you talk about how to write a captivating hook, how to, you know, all these little tidbits of a, of a presentation, you've broken it down, you give examples, you give, you know, downloadable worksheets, they're all really well done. Um, and so I had a question from the chat room asking, do you work with nutrition therapists? Do you work with other, is it just physicians or can it be anybody? Anybody. Yep. And that's, that's one of the things, Paul, if you want to talk about this, 
sometimes people watch the online stuff and they're good. And other times people say, you know what, I'd, I'd really, I loved it, but I want to actually talk with somebody about this mm-hmm. and I want to take it to another level. And Paul is one of those people who do that for you. Yeah. And he's he's, he's going to be one yeah. of those. Yeah. 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 Tell us like, what would be the tipping point that somebody watching right now might go, okay, maybe I want to schedule a call. How would they know? Is it that they have a, do they have to have a big presentation in the pipe or can they just say, I need some help with some things? No, it's it's just a matter of desire, right? Um, and if um, if there's big presentations down the pike, or maybe a future that hey, I'd like to uh, pivot at some point, and I want to be prepared so I can do that if I'm offered that, maybe uh, they're going to become a speaker for uh, for some uh, pharmaceutical company or or a medical device company. They're going to do a presentation, a speech, you know, on behalf of them, and and they haven't done one before. Maybe they're new in the field. Um, or uh, just they want to improve their skill sets. Stop and think for a minute. Um, one of the things that Jason has incorporated in, into his uh, programs is the discussion we talked about earlier about being curious, okay, being curious. Well, imagine if we all had a better habit of being curious about the people we were talking to that we're face-to-face with. And then how important, and with telemedicine now, there's, uh, we're much more restricted in terms of body move, body language and engagement. So we really have to be much more skilled at asking the right questions, those open-ended questions to really find out what's going on with the, the patient, what's going on out there. It's so much more important. And these are the skills that we build and help people build are the ability to engage on that level. So it, it's really uh, just a matter of uh, desire to improve. Oh, wonderful. Well, I I could talk to both of you all day, um, and I want to be cognizant of your time. It is 45 minutes past, which we did promise uh, was the time allowed. Thank you so much for both of you taking time out of your schedules. Please, now's the time. Tell us where we can connect with both of you, and I will drop it in the chat and make sure that everybody has this resource. Paul, go ahead. Uh, well, anyone wants to contact me, they can just uh, send uh, to uh, paul at mindseyecoaching.com. That's M-I-N-D-S-E-Y-E, mindseyecoaching.com. And uh, there's a, uh, I've got a website there with a few things on that as well uh, that you can look at. Um, and I'd love to hear from anybody uh, And my uh, direct line if you want to just uh, reach out and uh, explore whether or not you'd want to go further is uh, 901. Five five three five eight nine four. Looking forward to hearing from some of you. Thank you, thank you. And how about you, yeah. Jason? Uh, you can go to rulethroompublicspeaking.com and you can click around. You can get programs there. There's lots of blogs, lots of great information there. You can the PS Lab that Laura talked about is there, and you can also click on a coaching link there. And from there, you can also get access to work with Paul. Uh, and uh, and all the other different resources that are available for rural public speaking and for just helping you in general to do all the things we talked about today. That's awesome. And where can they buy your book if they're curious? Anywhere. You can buy it on uh, Amazon. You can buy it on pretty much any place online that sells sells books. Rule the Room is the name of it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you both so much, Jason and Paul. It's been a pleasure. Um, I appreciate all of your help and hopefully we can connect again in the future. It's been a pleasure, Ah, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Very well. Thank you so much for helping all of us.
This is great. And I hope you have a Thanks. lovely rest of the summer. We'll talk soon. Very good. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Bye-bye.